Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. Today is Monday, April the 20th, 2020. Back to school day for Howard County Public School System children. Happy I'm Bill <laughs> You had something there, Jason? I just wishing people a very happy 420. <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to come up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Immediately. I see, I see you wearing your black turtleneck. Is that indicative of anything? <laughs> Actually, it's brown. So, you know. Oh, and well, it also is also indicative of nothing. Oh, well, very good. Very good. We do not condone breaking the laws of the state of Maryland on this fine podcast. <laughs> we, are, podcast? We, are, we are protest free. Oh, and, God, yeah. And what we also are, are we are containing one uh, 100% guest. And so our guest for this evening is Kirsten Coons, currently a member of the Howard County Board of Education, um, elected at large, but representing District 4, running for re-election for District 4. Kirsten, welcome. Thank you for having me, Jason and Bill. So, uh, you know, we, we start off with the great generic question. What have you and your loved ones been doing while, uh, you know, I know you've been at work and we'll get to that in a minute, but what else have you been doing during this time of pandemic? Uh, definitely parenting has been a, uh, a hot topic. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a, now a 16 year old, we celebrated her birthday um, during the, the closure, but we managed to have um, cake and candles and everything and have a little little party for her um you know within our quarantine circle so um and she is uh happily doing driver's ed she's in her second week and cannot wait to be finished with it um so that kind of worked out with the schedule that she's just kind of jumping into it um and so we've been watching a lot of tv and um been having a lot of virtual meetings, um, you know, whether it's like with a doctor or with my friends or for work, um, you know, it's uh, been a lot of online activity and, um, but it's, it's been good. And, um, you know, it, I think everybody's kind of gotten used to seeing each other's uh, living rooms or whatever. And, um, you know, I wish I had one of those nice fancy bookcases behind me that had like my degrees on it and my awards and blah, blah, blah. Um, and pictures of my my kids and you know that kind of thing, but um, you know for now it's it's my couch. It seems um, like every anchor and reporter on CNN have white bookcases. Well, that's the exactly. Movie. And I'm wondering if it's not a compound somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's all it's it's all the same building. It's <laughs> just different rooms painted different colors. I mean, they call it New York, Washington, and Atlanta, but I'm not thinking so. I think Gloria Borger and Wolf Blitzer are fighting for hot water every morning. <laughs> well, didn't you think that already? No. <laughs> you never know. Gloria, get out of the bathroom. So, yeah. So, so how does driver's ed work now? Is it all online? Well, so they have to do a two-week class of like two and a half to three hours every day that's basically, you know, the textbook law um, type of stuff, you know, the different instructions for, um, even though she had to pass her learner's permit test and take that test, um, she took that a, a few weeks ago, um, it's, it's going over more rules of the road stuff, and so there's the instructional time, and then she has to schedule her six hours or whatever it is now behind the wheel with, you know, a non-family member driver with a driving instructor. And so I'm not sure exactly when that'll happen. 
Right. Um, but then, you know, one thing that we've been doing is um, since um, since her dad uh, works here in Columbia, or he can't go down to his McLean office, um, his his car is around um, the area. So we, we go driving various places and um, so she can get her hours for her um, to be able to take her um, official test, hopefully on Halloween. Okay. With relatively few cars out on the road. That's Perfect time. That's well, I was kind of surprised. I actually took her down BW Parkway to 495. One of those windy days in the last couple of weeks. It was her first real wind, um, real windy day where there were like 40 gusts and like the cars mm -hmm. kind of moving on her. And um, I was like, oh, you know what? I think we're just going to go down to the Beltway and see how it was. It was relatively crowded. It was like 2.30 um, on a weekday. And I was actually surprised at how congested it was. But I mean, it's DC. It always, it always is. So um, so it was, it was good for her actually to have that kind of, you know, brief int introduction for a couple of miles on it. And she's like, oh my God, I'm on 95. And so, so I know, exciting. I know. Oh, so I just have a question. Has she had to do the uh, reverse figure eight yet? Or is that, uh, is that coming up? Um, she has done a little bit of it. Um, not too much. Mm -hmm. um, she did, um, she's working on parking. Um, she hasn't parallel parked yet. And um, I'm not sure. I kind of want to get her the car that she'll be driving to do some more of the stuff because um, she's driving Luke's car and it's a Camry mm -hmm. and a, it's a little big for her. So she she can't quite see the right edge, the passenger side. Mm -hmm. um, so she she gets a little bit nervous because and she's like basically on top of the wheel because she's so short. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they literally have to do a reverse figure eight as part of the test. In Michigan, we did back in the 80s. I mean, they had us do a bunch of like parking tests and you have reverse figure eight part of it. We never had to do that in Maryland. We just had our course with the three-point turnaround and the parallel park. Yeah, and I think they took parallel parking out. They did. My kids, yeah. neither of my kids had to do it, yet they mm -hmm. learned how to do it. Mm -hmm. So, and, and also another uh, community role that you have played for several years and is as a member of the town board village board so i mean town center village board and which i heard that you have just you have just left that august body yes i decided to resign we increased our membership um the number of directors uh last year um and um it was just getting really hard um i've done it for a few years um you know with budget season and redistricting um it was just getting really tough to make sure that i could you know um fulfill that role to the to the necessary degree and um you know there was there were a couple new people on the board that are interested and you know so i felt like i was you know leaving the the organization in in good hands and um you know it's been exciting because we uh town center is uh you know it's you know this little um i think i remember some of you referring to um town center as the embryonic urban core of Columbia? Yeah, I've, I've like Bill. That sound like a, a, a well-known blogger in this community? Um, <laughs> oh, that's Scott. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, so I've been a part of a lot of change in Columbia. Uh, I think, you know, being part of the Chrysalis development, I was on the Inner Arbor Trust board for a little while and, um, you know, to being part of that and seeing what a great start that has had and i'm so sad that you know half the season now is going to be canceled or whatever um because that's been such a great asset to town center and bringing families for free programming 
Um, and then, you know, being an advocate for town center and for the, the, the activities and the development that's going on uh, down here. And I've, I've lived in town center specifically, I guess, for 17 years now. Uh, and I, I really love it. And there, it's an exciting time. And to see the rejuvenation of, you know, these, uh, these apartment buildings and the, the new restaurants that are uh, coming on board and opening their doors. So it's been, it's been really cool. And I also got the chance to work with uh, some people on the village board that were just tremendous. And, uh, you know, Historic Oakland is a lovely place. And uh, it's, it's a special place. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, I learned a lot from, from my colleagues on that board and the, you know, village boards are, you know, not for the faint of heart. They are uh, completely unpaid uh, and they are completely volunteer and uh, they, but they, you know, work on making the community a little bit better and, uh, you know, building on the history of Columbia and uh, celebrating the Rouse vision. And I, I really enjoyed it and I, I wish them well, and maybe one day in the future I'll be on it again. Yeah, and and I succeeded you, in fact, on the Inner Arbor Trust as treasurer. So, which yes, is, you do. List is three years old on Wednesday. Aww. Jason, you had a question. <laughs> yeah, it was just really just a follow up, uh, Kirsten, on uh, sort of the the lessons learned from your town center experience. Is anything in particular that uh, you carried with you as as an important lesson going into the uh, Board of Education? Sometimes decisions are very tough and uh, compromise is important. And even though some of us might have differing opinions on the village board about something, we, we work together for the betterment of town center. And uh, I learned a lot about the, the county and how the planning process goes. And that has definitely been an asset to me on the um, Howard County Board of Education especially in consideration of things like um, the school system's um, role in terms of the adequate public facilities ordinances and the, the APFO chart basically and understanding how um, you know how we're all interrelated and that that sense of you know how decisions affect each other and uh, the knowledge of sort of what the county is doing and understanding the downtown Columbia plan um, has definitely been helpful in, in terms of when I'm presented with information mm -hmm. uh, as a board member on the Board of Education, that has been helpful. And, and, and so I guess, I guess now is as good a time as any to, to segue into the, the, the main, main topic, I guess, for tonight's discussion, which is uh, what's going on with the uh, Board of Education. And, you know, it, during uh, the time that this current board has served, I mean, I, I commend you and every single member of the current board because you had to take on a lot of issues and a lot of things that I believe other boards, my personal opinion, is other boards kick the can down the road and let, you know, your board from 2018 to 20 uh, deal with. And by far, I believe the most difficult one of those was redistricting as Jason and I and uh, have talked with various candidates for the mm -hmm. office and, and at least one other incumbent I mean it was you know by and far you know the hot topic and there's 
no need to restate the amount of air, of oxygen that it has taken in the community discourse. Um, so, um, you know, uh, we've been trying, we will, we've been trying to connect for a while uh, to get on the podcast uh, again, because you'd been on about a year or so ago. Right, last summer or something, yeah. But, uh, Wait a minute, is Kirsten our first repeat guest? No, no. Oh. We've, had, we've had at least, well, at least Scott Ewart is. Oh, really? He didn't yeah. Okay. At least one other, but I can't remember. Oh, okay. But um, but uh, one thing that I know had taken up a lot of space in social media this past week was uh, a decision that was, and forgive me if I'm misstating the facts or the actuality. That's part of why we're here. Um, but there were decisions made by certain school board members to reopen the redistricting. And I guess I'll just say that as concisely as need be. Now, Jason and I discussed this yesterday or two days ago on the podcast, and we understand that the motion was to look at ensuring how prepared the school system was well, to do everything for 2021. So perhaps having firsthand experience, sure. to say what exactly the heck is going on. Tell, tell so us did, the real deal, Kirsten. Okay, I will. So um, <laughs> if I might correct you, Mr. Woodcock, there was not a motion. Okay. Um, there was um, a request for information for discussion because I think the community has a lot of concerns about what's going to happen because usually during a redistricting, which I think our teams usually handle very well, our principals uh, and our central office staff handle very well, um, you know, every time it happens, because redistricting is a relatively common thing here in Howard County. Uh, as far as the transition planning, usually the decision needs to be made in November because there's so many decisions that follow on from that. And, you know, the decisions are transportation, the decisions are, um, you know, childcare decisions for people. Everybody needs time to make the changes that are uh, that come out of the redistricting decisions. And um, given the fact that we hadn't really talked about what was going on, and our our um, our educators, uh, because they're ten month employees, they were um, they were under emergency order for a couple of weeks and all hands had to be on deck as far as dealing with this distance learning. And I wanted to, to talk about how we are walking and chewing gum at the same time and that those plans for transition for um, moves to new schools are happening because you want to make sure that, for instance, a third grader who's, um, you know, in um, one math group you know, continues along that way to their new school with their fourth grade teacher. And a lot, that's it's very labor intensive in terms of, it's always labor intensive. Um, it's a process called articulation. And that happens every year uh, in, um, in April and May. And I had concerns about how that process is going. And, uh, you know, and I wanted to, to talk about what's gonna happen also if worst case scenario if we didn't go back to school in August, at the end of August, because it's really soon. And our educators, our 10 month staff only come back about a week or so before the children do. And I wanna know that we are, our staff is working, you know, 
25 hours out of, you know, seven days now. Um, they are working really hard uh, and I commend them and they are still working, but I wanted to have that discussion, you know, for the public and to talk about, you know, what are the costs? What are we thinking? You know, we're going to be um, hearing about our budget sometime soon mm -hmm. from the county executive, what his proposal is. And uh, so I want to make sure that we're all thinking about the different repercussions and because things look a little different, you know, for instance, we're purchasing all these Chromebooks um, that, you know, we've been behind on our technology for years. And, you know, there are lots of decisions that are all interrelated. And I want to hear how our superintendent and hold him accountable, how he is managing his team and moving that process forward. Um, so I was not, um, I know there's a lot of thoughts that I did that, that for a political stunt. Um, I really wanted to just talk about it and talk about, um, you know, I'm very concerned about mental health. Um, you know, I know there are a lot of children that struggle during a regular year with anxiety. Uh, you know, I have a high schooler now, even when school was, was not going on, she was still doing homework. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure put on our students, um, you know, whether it's by parents or by themselves or by their, their teachers or by whomever, um, you know, we really need to pay attention to the mental health of our children and their, their emotional well-being. So I, I want to make sure that that is being paid attention to. We all know that we have not been able to staff the level of psychologists uh, in our schools for, for years. Um, you know, we're way under the ratio of what's recommended, recommended I believe, by the American Psycholo <clears throat> Psychological Association as far as ratio of psychologists to students. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of factors in that, um, you know, availability, you know, is there actually supply of psychologists? Um, you know, the edu in, in education, um, just broadly, you know, we're, we're missing teachers. Um, we're not, not enough educators are graduating every year from college to, to actually be in our classrooms. Um, so there are a lot of different reasons, you know, budgetary, um, you know, lack of qualified candidates. There's a lot of stuff going on um, that affects a lot of, a lot of elements of our, of our school system. Um, so, you know, I voted for almost everything uh, in the redistricting plan. There were a couple of things that I had concerns about. Um, I, that I continue to be concerned about, you know, we, we moved um, a lot of children uh, that were walkers um, from one school that, that now they're going to be on a bus to another school and making sure that the supports uh, that they had available to them at their existing school, are they, are there going to be those supports available? Because not only are they going to be attending a new school, they have it, they never got to leave their old school. That's, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that we're not going back. I have no, I'm not breaking any news here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's already to May 15th and I just don't, I can't imagine that we're going back to school. But, um, you know, so there's a grieving process for children uh, that they're not going to see uh, their, their old friends and be able to say goodbye to their buildings and because they were kind of just ripped out of them in the middle of March. So I want to make sure that we're attending to their social and emotional well-being and mental so, health. So, so a couple of follow-ups and then I'll, I'll yield to the uh, gentleman from Wild Lake or the bottom of the screen, your choice. <laughs> um, 
one, so your distinction is, is very apt, and I appreciate that, and that's why I wanted to say it the way I said, because there is space out there in social media land that said, motion. Uh, but to me, being a little bit of a parliamentarian, a motion is looking at an action, whereas a request for information is a status update. So where along that continuum was the nature of that request? Um, mine was status update. And is this, and if the information was, we haven't been able to attend to that at all, then I would have said, ah, but no, um, our principals have worked on staffing. Um, you know, the surplus fair happened last week where, um, you know, if a school is, um, you know, doesn't need as many science teachers, then, you know, one science teacher, um, you know, is leaving and they get to choose um, a little bit of where they want to go. Um, so at the moment, you know, all of our surplus teachers um, are still necessary because we still have the same number of students and the class ratio, although it was voted on um, and I, I disagree and I voted against that, um, the, the budget that was sent to the county executive includes a one student increase um, per class. Uh, so we, we probably, based on that, we should not have any, any layoffs. I'm saying that not going into what the budget might be that comes out soon, um, but in our proposal, there shouldn't be any layoffs because usually there's retirement and attrition. Uh, you know, people don't come back from child rearing leave um, or, you know, they move. And so generally the surplus, you know, that, that, ex, that science teacher, we have another science job for them to go to. And so that process has all begun to happen. And uh, the, you know, the transfer of files um, is going to be a little bit tricky because there's a lot on paper in, in those school buildings and figuring out how that information gets transferred from the, you know, the current school to the new school um, could be logistically challenging given that um, we're not able to step into our buildings right now. Um, but, you know, the bus routing is going on, planning for the new routes that have been designed. Um, the routes that are going to be double bused because there are exemptions, um, you know, an eighth grader might have decided to stay at their school rather than go to the new school that um, they'd be redistricted to. So there are some exemptions like that. Um, so all of that has been proceeding and the, the master schedules that have been designed by, uh, by our educators and our administrators to set up the new schedules for, for the fall, um, those have all already been set in motion and um, you know, so the plan is, you know, um, you know, my daughter is going to be in this class. Mm -hmm. She's chosen her class. Um, so they, so Wild Lake needs to make sure that it has, you know, so many teachers because she wants to take French and, you know, mm -hmm. that kid wants to take Spanish. And so they need to, they need to plan that all out. And the, the high schoolers start that process really early anyway. They start that in, um, they begin to do that in January. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is something that needs to be um, thought out. And so that way, when there are problems, there's time to resolve those problems. Mm -hmm. um, so if the status update had been like, uh, no, that's back in the, we have no idea what's going on with the redistricting plan, then there could have been something like, uh, what should we do? But the information from, um, from our staff, our superintendent was that um, plans are proceeding. Uh, 
you know, it's really hard to have transition plans, you know, like in-person plans where, you know, elementary school kids are going to their new school and playing at the playground with their new classmates and that kind of thing. So that's kind of stifled right now. And that's unfortunate. Um, but I know that our elementary schools are welcoming and there were, um, there had been some chances for families to visit uh, their new school. And, you know, a lot of families, um, I redistricted um, my home. Um, so families that are here, um, uh, they're, they're not going to Running Brook anymore. They're going to Brian Woods. So they've already, I've talked to some families, they've already gone over to Brian Woods before the, the closure and got to meet the principal and some of the staff and got to see the building. And so, um, you know, some schools have, have done that. And there might be some where um, that has not happened um, for various reasons. I don't know. Um, but I have heard good feedback from, from many people about some of those transitions. So my second question is a more basic one, and, and I can understand the lack of, a lack of willingness to ascribe um, intent. But why, <laughs> then, why then do you think that this agenda item all of a sudden became about redistricting because there certainly was a lot of agenda, uh, a lot of energy spent both by people who were against the plan and who were still fighting it. And, you know, I know you can't speak about any legal stuff that may be going on, um, you know, and there and was there's certainly... legal stuff going on. What are you talking about? Well, I don't know, but I'm just saying if there was, I, I literally do not know if there is. But I do. Oh know yeah, no. I mean, there's a lot of public stuff. So there have been there have been doing with their attorney and all their fun and games. So I don't want to know about how that's affecting you and your life right now. <laughs> um, I can imagine. But um, but also on the on the on the side of some folks who were very much in favor of school equity, you know, um, you know, comments to the effect that by bringing up this agenda item, you were making an attempt to overturned the decision that was made back in November. I mean, where, I mean, where do you think that comes from? Is it politics? Is it wishful thinking? All of the above, something else, what? I, I think actually that's the wishful thinking, I think is part of it. Um, there's, I think that we have, um, we, we made the decision back in November, right? Um, but we have a responsi responsibility to make sure that it's carried out. And given this atmosphere of uncertainty um you know we we need to know and we need to have a plan and i wanted wanted to hear the thoughts um i think like i said if there had been something where no we have no idea what's going on then maybe we would have had further discussions about it um but my intent was to are you guys thinking about this about the mental health and you know there are a lot of people um, you know, with the, you know, my kid's been ripped out of their school because of the closure and now they're not going to be able to get to go back to their school and they're really stressed. And, you know, I wanted to talk to people uh, in, in public. Uh, so I think it's a combination of, of wishful thinking, of, of concern about the transition. Um, but it's also that walking and chewing gum thing of, you know, if I'm, I'm concerned about the mental health of, of all of our students, I'm concerned about the fact that, you know, we're not exactly sure what's happening with seniors graduating right now. And, you know, there's still some uncer uncertainty there. Um, 
but I wanted to, I wanted to talk about it. And, you know, as the quote unquote swing vote on the board, uh, you know, everybody ascribes different motives to me. Um, you know, mine was a desire for information, um, to digest it, to, to, um, to understand, um, you know, are we thinking about this? Have we asked the questions um, that we really need to be asking about how this is going to affect our children and their education? And are we, are we making it harder? Um, are, we, are we causing problems? And I'm sure in some cases, you know, the emails that I've received are, you know, stressful. Um, you know, and how do we, how do we make sure that we as a community and we as, as school administrators, uh, try to shepherd this process through, um, you know, a process that has already, you know, racked our community, you know, wrought havoc on the community and the relationships, um, even, you know, that, that I have, you know, the stuff that I've been called, um, you know, so, uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted to know more information is, is always important. And these are big decisions. Um, but, you know, I, I voted for the majority of, of this plan. Um, you know, and I, I do want to make sure that everybody is taken care of and that um, we're listening to our community as well. Um, you know, we, uh, we got, you know, so many emails, so many, you know, fearful, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, when, if we go back in the fall and, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety. And I think we as, as public servants need to acknowledge that and talk about what steps, what processes are in place to deal with that and not um, dismiss them. I mean, we got emails from, you know, a lot of people that said, don't you dare um, change it. Um, or, you know, my kids looking forward to it, they met their new teachers, and, um, you know, to, to get a pulse. Things have changed a lot, and I think it's fair to, to acknowledge and to listen um, and to have a public discussion about what the concerns are. And I think, I think you heard my concerns were about the mental health of children. Right. Um, because, you know, if they're not ready to learn in any school, because of their emotional health, uh, then that's going to prevent them from making progress that way. So we need to attend to children's um, needs. Uh, you know, it gets overused, the Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy. You know, they have to, before they bloom. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just, you know, as somebody that, um, I just, I really care about mental health and um, it's not just children are resilient, they'll get over it. Um, I think that's really dismissive. Jason? Um, uh, Kristen, I just had a question for you, if I, if I may turn to matters electoral, because this wouldn't be the McLaughlin group if we didn't discuss such things. Um, well, I thought it was a Gronsky company. <laughs> yeah, I'm I heard it was 60 minutes. Smurfs. <laughs> oh. um, one of the last uh, pieces of lit I received, uh, I'm holding it up now so you might be able to see it, is from oh, that looks familiar. Very own campaign. And uh, I noticed on the back of it, uh, progress made but more to do as sort of the tagline. And one of the sub points underneath that committed to all students. 
you hear a lot of that uh, similar phraseology, phraseology these days in terms of the allness as opposed to the candidate who's out there backing 30% of them. But I was just curious uh, regarding sort of way the, the landscape has changed over the last four years and, and, and perhaps the, the focus of the, the, uh, uh, the candidatures involved. So four years ago, you were, you were the top vote getter in Howard County for Board of Education. Um, of course, that was countywide, and now we're yes. uh, doing district-based uh, 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 constituencies. Um, how has campaigning changed for you? Have you seen shifts in not just uh, demographic shifts that may occur over the past four years, but in terms of your voter base, do you find yourself, uh, you know, do you find that to be evolving? I mean, how, how is that working out for you in terms of the people you're trying to target? Sure, that's a great question. I never was in support of the district-based system, and I'm not really thinking of it that way either, although I'm running in a smaller area. Uh, for instance, you know, Wild Lake is the high school in my district, but it pulls from District 1. Mm -hmm. um, there are children from Dunlog and middle school that go there. And so I, I don't want this to become a, uh, well, if there's an addition at Wild Lake that is necessary, but there's an addition at Stevens Forest that's necessary, that I'm going to choose Wild Lake over Stevens Forest because it's my district. I don't view, uh, we are a county system, and that's something that I, um, you know, even with redistricting, um, you know, we are a county system. We are not a, um, a township or, um, you know, you're not, your house doesn't go to school. Uh, and we have to make decisions for the entirety of the system. Uh, so I, I fear that some people will be provincial um, and more parochial in their views. Um, certainly from the standpoint of running logistically, it's easier because um, obviously there's a smaller population. Um, but that doesn't take away my realization that we are a county of getting close to 60,000 students and the decisions that I as a D4 representative would make are based on all five districts. It happens that I am running in this district, but I, I've never seen it as a, um, I've never seen it as divided that way. And, um, you know, I don't want interests to get across. I want people to be focused on what's the right thing for the county. Mm -hmm. um, what's, what are the right fiscal decisions for the county? Um, you know, do I love Wild Lake and Running Brook and Wild Lake Middle? Yeah, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that that should be to um, the detriment of someplace else in Elkridge or in Western Howard County. Um, I don't think that's fair. And so I'm trying to be upfront with voters about that. Mm -hmm. And that while I may technically represent District 4, I really don't see this job as doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, just one other question on matters electoral. I believe the campaign finance filing, the next one is uh, up in eight days, right? Uh, are we going to see any surprises on your campaign finance reports? Um, no, and I know that I've gotten some flack from getting money from outside of District 4. Um, but like I said, uh, it's, I still see it as one system. 
Um, no, not really. Um, I have been, um, I've been pleasantly surprised by my fundraising. Uh, my campaign manager has been, uh, been helpful with that. Um, but no, not really. Um, I haven't, uh, uh, I, I don't think there's, it's pretty banal. Um, you know, I spent so a few no dollars. donations or anything. No, I, I mean, I've, I've spent some money on those postcards you have. <laughs> I was going um, to ask, and nice. by the way, by, oh, go ahead, Jason. Which are nice, and they do have the union bug, so it's always good to see that. <laughs> so, and I was going to ask, because uh, I was wondering, and, and, and I'm one of those entities from outside District 4 who gave you money, and before, you know, I get the, you know, the... Uh, eventual excoriation for this for this uh, podcast episode i've also given to ms mallow and faith in uh, all fairness and full disclosure but my question and i heard about i saw it was a postcard and not a piece of literature how has campaigning changed given this very unique time and of course the primary being delayed to june 2nd well and also the primary being a, a, a mail-in yeah, right is a huge difference right um, I, I did do a lot of walking, um, you know, before the closure, uh, a lot of door knocking and, uh, and it was nice, you know, getting back in the rhythm, you know, I kind of look at campaigning as a good weight loss strategy, uh, but it's, you know, mostly online and, uh, you know, trying to talk to people, uh, maybe doing, you know, see about maybe doing some virtual stuff, uh, but you know, I try to be very accessible and respond to emails as quickly as possible. And um, I'm glad that we had some forums before the closures. Um, so that was that was good to meet people. And it has been good. I've, I met a lot of people that I hadn't met before that I hadn't seen. Um, and so that was good. Um, and I'm thankful to the, to the people that held those forums because um, it was a chance to differentiate myself from my fellow candidates and that kind of thing. Um, so what do you but, make of the what do you make of the huge field in District Four? I mean, of course, yourself and and Jen Mallow were were drawn into it, and you know you both live, of course, very close to each other. Um, you know, but then I you know there is a write-in candidate who has just recently come out of nowhere. There are a few others. What do you make about what what's what's brought that on? I mean, you know, I I can look at, I mean. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem, it seems like a larger field than normal. I mean, even when you look countywide, you're looking at 18 or 19 candidates. Right. Uh, well, this is, it seems to be a lot of um, redistricting, Ajda, and that's not something that the board does that often. And it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not a fan of single issue candidates. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't voted for them in the past. Um, I'm sure there could be some people that say, oh, Kirsten, you kind of ran on a single issue last time. Um, I didn't. I, I ran on a, a whole set of issues that was um, a systemic problem. And, but I ran on a lot of different things. Um, we talked about a lot of different things, whether it was the paraeducators being taken from kindergartners, um, the bring your own device program policy that was rolled out very poorly, 
the, uh, the rollout of Canvas that was rolled out um, terribly to the high school students. Uh, high school educators actually are the ones that felt the brunt of that. Um, and, um, you know, we're still sort of paying the price for that because um, it was rolled out to high school and middle school, but it wasn't rolled out to elementary school back when it was implemented a few years ago. And so part of this process in the last couple of weeks with this distance learning um, is still somewhat of a repercussion from decisions that were made back then. And, um, you know, our technology has been something that has been very slowly um, implemented and changed. And uh, we're kind of paying the price for that right now because it took longer to get certain things up and running because we just haven't invested in them um, the way that we should have um, over the past few years and, and done the training and um, the professional development and the, um, the stakeholder input. That's always important to me as a person who's done financial systems implementations. Um, when, you, when you go to buy a new system, you get the people who are gonna be using it in the room. And um, that has not really happened with some of the software that has uh, been implemented. Um, things are going better now. Uh, it's taken some time. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I've been in, I was involved with the system before I ran and I've been invested in it for a while. And I've been invested in Columbia for a while, um, whether it's been on the town center village board or being um, a volunteer at the library. Uh, this is a place that I'm, that I care about. And the school system is much more complicated than people think. Um, you know, it's about a billion dollar budget and it's, you know, the majority of it is educator salaries, which it should be because they're the ones that are delivering on our mission. And without our educators having buy-in and, you know, enjoying their, their jobs, you know, that's going to impact our students. And so that continues to be a focus of mine and um, why I voted against the, um, the class size increase in this budget that was sent to the county executive because our educators already have a lot on their plates. And, um, you know, with... Uh, I don't know if you saw the special educators that testified to us uh, a few months ago, but they were very heartfelt and about the, the loads and the burdens that are placed on them. And that was actually a question that, I guess I'm going far afield, but that was actually a question that I asked of Senator Van Hollen uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, the Maryland Association of Boards of Education had a call with Senators Cardin and Van Hollen and I asked about uh, regulations for special education because the Federal Department of Education under Secretary DeVos has not uh, been very uh, attentive to the needs of our children receiving special education services. And some of the regulations that were promulgated as a result of this COVID crisis seem to relax some of what I believe are not only our legal responsibilities, but also our moral and ethical responsibilities to our children. And I asked him specifically about that, about the regulations and about, you know, making sure that our educators are focused on the delivery of services to students and making sure that we're tracking compensatory services for children that you know are, 
are not going to be able to use distance learning for, um, for their educational needs and making sure that we do right by them and um, you know, not forgetting about them. And there are so many people that were like, oh, well, you know, don't worry about the kids that don't have computers or that have special needs, you know, do it for the, you know, 75% that, and just call it, you know, well, we're doing well enough. I don't think that's fair to anybody, whether it's mm -hmm. access to technology or adequate um, education that is um, individualized for a child's needs. We have to think about all of that. We can't just mm -hmm. say 75% have it and, and move on. That's, that's not the right or moral thing to do. So we have several minutes left. Jason, what, what else do you have on your mind? You look like you had something. Oh, I'm sure I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> let, me try to, <laughs> let me try to remember. Um, well, yeah, oh, gosh. Uh, I have I, I have several, but uh, but I'll yield the floor to Bill because I do have one remaining just one remaining question because I have to go teach my do my virtual office hours in a few minutes. Ah, yeah. So well, I'm going to uh, ask a question I've been asking of a number of the candidates, which uh, has been deemed by one of your competitors in D4 the blue sky question. So uh, you've already served four years, so uh, I, I'm Three asking you. Four years, well, three and a half, but it will, it will be four. Yeah. Um, and I'm asking you to think this time four years from now. What is it, I mean, assuming, you know, let's say, who knows what may happen, but let's say you're here again and you're running for another four-year term on the Board of Education. What is it that you would like to say, you know, when I was reelected in 2020, I worked to blank. What would you like to say? I would like to say um, I've been very interested in our children with, um, with reading needs, um, dyslexia and other reading difficulties. And that's something that I've been really interested in. I've gone to a couple of um, seminars and been, um, been involved with some of our English and language arts teachers or um, curriculum coordinators at the central office level and also talking to teachers when I've done my school visits, uh, I've been really interested on um, reading. And so um, we applied and got and are now spending a grant for a reading program that um, seems to make some differences and seems to, um, you know, have some elements that might be able to identify children uh, with dyslexia. And I'm really interested in, in seeing how that evolves and how our educators um, are, are liking it, what kind of differences there are, what kind of data um, improvements are shown, um, how, do, how does that investment uh, translate into progress. And you know, unfortunately, there have to be standardized tests to do some of that. But a lot of our reading um, at the early levels in the K through two uh, is not so much standardized testing, it's really about um, reading comprehension and talking to a child and seeing how they actually verbalize and um, how they enunciate and then the reading comprehension that comes with it. Um, and so that's something that I'm really interested in. And I've been, whenever I go to an elementary school, that's something that I've really been checking in on um, to, to see how teachers are using it. And I've been really impressed and seeing the lessons that our, our teachers are using on a daily basis. And so I'd really like to see um, our reading 
scores and achievement improve because that's one of the biggest issues um, you know with our children you know if you look at the school to prison pipeline you look at um, you know the amount of inmates that have reading disabilities reading problems literacy lack of literacy um, and that can change a lot of things and so um, the frustration that a child feels early on if it's not addressed and they're not able to to get it and they're not diagnosed and and, and then have the appropriate intervention, because that's what's important too. It's not just the diagnostic piece, it's also the, the intervention that comes. And that's, that's something that I would really like to, to continue to see through and, and you know, over the next couple of years, see that take off and have been a major difference. Um, the other thing is I think I've been part of the, the Maryland Association of Boards of Education Legislative Committee for a couple of years and um, working with our legislators uh, on, you know, whether it's superintendency issues, um, you know, uh, there have been a host of things that I've had the chance to kind of get in, get in on. Um, obviously, Kerwin, um, and that's up in the air now. You know, according to Governor Hogan, um, there are some elements of it that I disagreed with because um, I think it creates a whole new bureaucracy of accountability and reporting. Um, and I'd really like to see um, our, our folks at the Maryland State Department of Education, I'd rather see improvements made there rather than just additional layers of, of bureaucratic reporting because we don't have the staff for all of it. We wanna focus our money on the classrooms and um, you know, every time there's a new regulation uh, that, takes, that takes money away from money we could be spending in the classroom. Well, I know, I know we, Not that really we don't a, need to be accountable to our taxpayers, but I'd like to see the existing systems for the said processes improved rather than creating new ones that duplicate or triplicate. Well, I know we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to give the last question to Jason. Sure, thanks, Bill. Um, this sort of builds on the previous question, and it's again more of a communications uh, perspective sort of thing. So, uh, let's say I, I'm, I'm walking in a restaurant. Let's let's call it curator 18 to 21st. Just pull two out the top of my head, and, and I saw you sitting there, and I and I came up to you, and and I said, yeah, Kirsten, what's your deal? Uh, how would you respond? What, what what's your what, what's your elevator pitch that sums up who you are, what you're all about? Let's see. Are you are you being demanding? Do you already have something that you're mad about, or? Um, no, in general, I say, you know, I came into this from a financial background. Uh, I'm, I've been an accountant for many years. And so I bring a financial perspective to, uh, to my board work. And I also bring a legislative interest and, um, um, you know, a, an interest in the political workings um, of our state, federal and county elected officials and how that collaboration needs to needs to work to make progress. And, but I'll always come back to my experiences at Running Brook when, you know, I saw children that had not had access to high quality preschool and how we really need to make sure that we're spending money and resources on, on children that, that really need our assistance and making sure that we have the the interventions that are there to, to help them when they're little. Um, 
that's why I wanted kindergarten paraeducators restored because when they come into the um, come into the classroom, they're all babies. They don't know how to order lunch, and so I think about you know how they're impacted, and I think about how I want the educators that work with them are impacted by decisions that we make. Do they have the time to focus on programs, and do they have the time to spend with children? really delivering um, education to them um, in, you know, in a differentiated and individualized format so that children are getting the resources that they need um, to be challenged, to be assisted, um, to succeed. And so that's what I really think about is I think about running Brooke and, and how important it is that we get elementary school right. Well, Kirsten, thank you so much. I mean, we have about 30 seconds left. Is there the website or anything you want to promote? Sure. Uh, www.kirstencoons.org. Please email me, uh, kirsten at kirstencoons.org. And, uh, you know, please send me your feedback, good, bad. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. Uh, you know, I can understand um, you know, the many perspectives and we should, we should appreciate the diversity in our, um, in our county from educational backgrounds, um, country of origin, uh, you know, everything. And we're so lucky in Howard County to have such a, a bevy of resources that we can pull on and, um, and, you know, think about, think about our little children, um, you know, that's, that's who I try to remember is the, the little kids in the kindergarten class and the first day of school when, well, thank you. so thank you. Good luck. Yeah, you know, please, please email me, please contact me and let me know what questions or concerns you have, or, um, you know, I'll always accept criticism as well. So thanks right. for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And thank you for continuing to be a friend of this show. We hope you do come back again. Thank you very much. Have a good Jason, night. Do you have anything in closing? Uh, uh, nothing particularly in closing, no. Other than uh, I would like to announce my next uh, big project, which is listening to Forgotten Songs of the 80s on YouTube uh, shortly after this podcast is done. I thought you had uh, office hours. I do have office hours, but <laughs> they're virtual. There's chances are students clicking in. Yeah, who knows? So I'll be entertaining myself while um, I'm waiting for them to join on. That's that's very good. That's what I, I got going I on. <laughs> I was doing something that exciting, but um, I don't. Um, so <laughs> with that, uh, for Jason Booms, I'm Bill Woodcock. Please join us again Friday when our guest will be the CEO of a new community nonprofit, Itemwise Incorporated, Will Woodcock. Until then, you've been listening and watching Forward Maryland. Take care, everybody. Have a great day.